Welcome to the Athletic Approach, where we will guide you through the intricate maze of the mind in sport. The Athletic Approach is brought to you by Culture and Sport, where we believe that culture is critical to long-term success. I'm Kristen Bonowski. And I'm Manisha Agawal, and this is the Athletic Approach, where we don't just play the game, we understand it. Yeah, I don't know about yourself, so kind of... Yeah, well, that's that's what I wanted to ask was like, where does psychology come into all this? And I didn't realize that your primary focus with sports psych is for dance. Like, it makes sense, but um, I didn't know that it was like, that's where you wanted to focus your career kind of thing. Yeah, like, I think I I think that's where my inspiration for it came from. Um, but I'm not kind of like limited to like not working with other sports. Like I'm 100% open to working with other sports because at the end of the day, I'm still working with an individual who have got the same. Yeah, tons of transferable sort of skills, I'm sure. Yeah, and like similar demands with like across sports as well. And it's almost the same um, kind of the same like psychological skills. It's just yeah. adjusting it to the individual and to their context. Um, but yeah, I think long like my absolute dream would be to support dancers who are touring or like the GB break dancing team. Like that would be like my dream mm-hmm. now that you know break dancing is becoming an Olympic sport. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where my interest comes from. But I think I do I do want to work in other sports, but I think because I don't have first hand experience of those other sports makes me feel a bit like oh like that anxiety of like will I fit in do I know enough about it but I think I need to trust my own like knowledge and experience that even though it's in a different sport it doesn't mean that I'm not capable of again like transferring yeah totally there's like so many experiences that are shared between um that are shared between different sports and like different team sports and you know you're part of the dance team so there's a lot of individual aspects and I'm sure there's a lot of team aspects which you can talk to different individual and team athletes so um and I know that that's a big thing that a lot of people talk to sports psychs about is like team dynamics and that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. have you had an experience of having a sports psychologist before um yeah I've had a few different sports psychs my first one was when I was doing track in university and um and then I worked with a sports psych again when I started with bobsleigh and then um and then I started working with a mental performance coach in my last my final two years of bobsleigh my last was your experience um my first experience was not entirely great to be honest um I only had one session and I think if I'm remembering correctly my coach kind of recognized that I was going through a tough time and she suggested that I go talk to the sports psych and I basically as it goes took a while to actually get the courage to go and go talk to this person and I like spilled my guts to this person and she basically said I can't really help you you're gonna need to go to like I was dealing with some depression and anxiety at the time which I think is incredibly common with athletes and fair enough she knew that like she's not qualified to help with those things but I had felt like like sport was contributing to these issues too and she kind of said you're gonna need to go to a 
the clinic and get a referral to see a psychologist, not a sports psychologist. So that was basically the beginning and the end of my first ever interaction with the sports site. Mm. Um, That's really interesting yeah. because I can see it from her, her perspective that you, because like, obviously like, as I'm in my training is that, you know, making those referrals, especially what you said with depression and anxiety, that makes sense. But perhaps, but it doesn't mean that she can't not still support you especially from that sport aspect and I guess as well um just having I don't know maybe it's the way that she had said it or kind of yeah she brought up like uh, she's like kind of brought up like sports psychs work with like goal setting and stuff like that and I just I don't know I felt really like dejected at that point because it did like I was struggling at the time and it took me a lot to go see her and then to be like, nope, you're going to need to go tell this all to somebody else. I can't help you. I just like, I'm, I ended up putting off talking to anybody for another couple months because I was just like, that, that sucked. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because my boyfriend, he's on the US bobsleigh team and we talk about this because I've been exploring potentially doing my master's in psychology and he keeps telling me I should do it in sports psych because he's like, you know, you're going to work with athletes. And I'm like, yes, but I want to be able to treat like the whole athlete. And from that first initial experience, and um, I like, I want to be able to help with things outside of sport. And I, and in his experience, he's like, I talk about everything in my entire life with my sports psych. And I'm like, well, I don't know if that's, I don't know where I fall on that. And I think like, general psychology might leave more doors open for me and so we kind of talk about it a little bit because he's like you know you're going to end up working with athletes anyway just do sports psychology but yeah Mm, no that is interesting because I think I can see it from both sides because I think sports psychology in general is definitely growing bigger in terms of it being more than just mental skills and again this is something that we talk about a lot that it is looking at more of um, athletes' mental health. And sometimes it's the question of should the sports psychologist upskill themselves so that they can help with other things, but then if it's out of their remit, making sure that there is a referral that can be made. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's where, you know, you kind of talk about that kind of the general psychology, that more clinical psychology where you can then be a bit more broader with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you know that I mean, there's a thing of a clinical sports psychologist that could be <laughs> something that you end up following because that is a thing. Um, but yeah, no, that's no, that is interesting. But it it does make sense because it is that thing of you know what is a sports psychologist's role and what's a clinical yeah. psychologist. Yeah, I I get the impression, I've spoken to a few um, professionals, and I get the impression that, like, a clinical psychologist can afterwards specialize in performance, but a sports psychologist can't specialize in general psychology afterwards. They would have to go back and get a whole separate certification. And, Mm -hmm. like, so it just seems like I would have more options. Yeah. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely. And I think it, as well, like if you broaden yourself up into different avenues and different individuals that you want to work with, then it doesn't stop you from working with athletes anyway if you do go exactly, yeah. down that path. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, did you study psychology as you studied it? Sorry, I know the answer to this as an undergraduate, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I did general psychology, um, which I feel like helped me for my master's in sports psychology. Because mm -hmm. again, that point of having that broader knowledge yeah. um, definitely helped. Um, the only thing that I found frustrating was that in my final year, you get to pick your modules, like what you want to choose. And sports psychology wasn't an option. So I didn't learn about sports psychology until it came to my master's. Mm -hmm. uh, well, actually, I did my dissertation in my undergrad in looking at resilience in professional dance. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And I guess that was like my first taste of sports psychology. Um, and I re and I really enjoyed that. So I was like, okay, yes, like sports psychology is the right path for me. Because in second year, it was only in second year when I realised that sports psychology is what I wanted to do. Because um, I did my so we had to do a placement, and initially I wanted to do dance movement psychotherapy, oh. which is yeah, which is basically like a form of art therapy, but using dance and movement. Mm -hmm. Um. And I did a placement and I didn't really enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Well, I, I enjoyed it, but it made me realise that I didn't want to help people that weren't dancers with dance. I wanted to help dancers with their mental health. So then that's, that's when it, well, it's a very useful placement. Then you kind of figured out like this is kind yeah. of where I want to be, but this isn't exactly it. Yeah. And I think any experience is good experience mm -hmm. and that's something that I learned so much because even if you if it turns out that you know it's not what you wanted to do that isn't a bad thing you know you just it's trial and error and it's just figuring out and that kind of you know filtering out what it is that you do want to do um and then yeah and then that summer I started my own that my own um, Instagram page dancers mindset and that I you know, then connected with other people that are kind of in the industry that are wanting to, you know, that have the similar similar goals as me. And that kind of made me feel like it was possible that I could make a career out of it because that was something, again, that was just a lot of doubts because, you know, a dance psychologist isn't really something that you hear of or there isn't the funding in dance schools mm. to have a sports psychologist. But having talked um, to you before about dance and the demand and the culture and everything it seems like something that could be really beneficial <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly like you'd like to think so um and i think yeah because i think it's the stigma of mental health within dance is still kind of i don't know it's just a bit hit and miss like and i think it depends on the culture of the dance school like some dance schools are open to mental health and they're so open for you know talking about it and they are so kind of so sometimes that the dance teachers will take that role of a psychologist and you know listen to what the dancers need and kind of provide in that way but then you know some dance schools are still very traditional and and it, yeah, and I think it goes, and it's quite similar in different sports as well, where it is that culture thing where different 
organizations different yeah. clubs no matter what the sport it's all about the culture that's kind of ingrained within the team um i think that's really interesting and i've yeah. i've actually noticed the last couple of years in bobsleigh bobsleigh is a very male dominated sport and a lot of our coaches are former bobsled athletes and they are tough and i think they don't always similar to dance acknowledge mental health and I've noticed over the last couple of years, it's actually gotten better. And I don't know with some of them, if it's just they're saying that it matters to them because they think they have to now because it's such a big topic and our sports systems mm -hmm. are pushing it. But either way, it's becoming more and more of a topic and not just like mental health, like in general, but also like sports performance. I've noticed that there's a lot more talk of that. Some coaches are really like, hey, let's figure out what is your optimal performance situation? Like, do you need to be mad? Do you need to be happy? Do you need to have fun? Do you need to be very serious? Like where, where is your head at when you perform the best? And I've noticed like of recent, it's gotten a lot better about having conversations like that amongst the team. Yeah, and I think that's something that it's that's kind of when you know what am I trying to say? Like it's it's that open communication and transparency that makes the difference. Yeah. And if it's not led by the athletes, mm -hmm. then you don't get this same kind of autonomy like they won't be as motivated like it's when I, I always bring up this example of like motivation like if someone if you're about to do something but then someone tells you to do it suddenly you don't want to do it 100 <laughs> i've had this like so as a like before this year i was a brakeman and so the pilot generally is like kind of the leader on the team and it's kind of always about my pilot was really great about this, but how the pilot communicates with the brakeman, it's not like, like let's, there's a lot of work outside of sliding that we have to do. And it's all about how they phrase it. Like, when do you want to do this? Not we're doing it now. Like, when do we want to go work on this? Not I want to go do this now, come with me. Like we're a team, you have choice. You, it's not my way or the highway. Like I'm not going to dictate to you. Yeah, and it's exactly that's what it is. And then, and then if your coach is telling you like this is the way it is, or this is kind of what the culture is, and you know we have to go by my rules, mm -hmm. then you, you lose that motivation from athletes. And I think that is like so important to then get that feedback and just be honest. And I think honestly, this is one of those things that's really athlete driven, like not just in the control aspect, but bringing mental health and mental performance and stuff like that into the forefront of our sporting careers. Um, it honestly, I think it's becoming more of an issue within sporting organizations because athletes are pushing for these conversations. Um, my teammate and I, we at one point had joint calls with a sports psych and that was something we asked for and we worked, um, like we wanted because we wanted to build a better team and better communication. And there was no coach who suggested that to us, but I think that it was a great thing that we were doing. And there was a couple other teams that were doing it too. And 
um, a lot of these initiatives or open conversations are often fostered by the athletes. They aren't in the set culture, you know? Yes, yes, exactly. And, and that's how you build, mm-hmm. like you said, that's how you then build that culture. And, and sometimes you hear a lot of things where if an athlete has just joined a team, can they fit into the culture? They need to follow the culture, the, the club's ethos and things. And I think that's absolutely fine. that ethos and if that if the values of the club is about ensuring that athletes are welcomed and integrated and they you know have a sense of belonging they have to act on that as well like it's it's not just a one-sided thing totally um but it, you know but then it also makes sense if you know if you're, you're at a high performing club and you know they they you know they push for hard work they push um that passion you know all the rest of it you do then have a player that comes in that you know that only tries half the time then again there's that conflict um which you know then does fall onto the athlete and it again then it you know as psychologists you then explore the motivations of that athlete why are you you know why do you want to be here what are your goals mm-hmm. because it could just be a case of not being on the same page but again, the first thing that needs to come into that is the, the open communication, because without that, you don't, we're not all mind readers. So you, open communication you know? and also being explicit with expectations. Like bobsleigh has a lot of turnaround in athletes and just like any sport, but it's a sport where you get a lot of people who are brand new to the sport and they're exposed to like the national team or the development level team in their first year. So there's not like a lot of grassroots. And I think often there's an issue. People think that they are coming in and disrupting the culture, but the expectations are not laid out for them. And so they're just, they maybe should think to ask more questions, but they aren't told coming in that they shouldn't be doing something or that everybody goes to the track every day, for example. Like sometimes someone thinks, oh, I need to train, so I'm gonna stay back from the track. And you're like, no. Your team's sliding, everybody goes. Like there's there's mm-hmm. expectations culturally that we're all used to that you don't really think about that someone who's new doesn't know. Yes. And that's the thing, that's it's those hidden values. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's what makes it difficult to integrate because you don't know because you just don't know because you've not you've never been in that culture and it's it's the same with literally everyday life or like if you started a new job like what's the culture of this workforce what's the culture of this company um you know even sometimes I thought you know when I started my new job um I was like where do people go and sit for lunch or like do people usually bring a pat of lunch you know a little thing and then suddenly you find out people just eat snacks at their desk all day (laughs) And don't take yeah. a lunch. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. And and it is just picking up on on those cues and it's something that you have to do. And it is just a learning process yeah. or you know, kind of or asking someone that you've felt like you've befriended quite early on and asking them those questions. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, no, it's 
it's definitely interesting and I think I think it's just it's so beneficial to have yeah. a sports like at you know whatever team whatever organization whatever level um yeah 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 and I think it's really cool to get to have these conversations with you who's been through the whole education to become a sports psychologist and then um myself well, we both have a lot of sporting experience, so I'm looking forward to actually talking about different aspects of sports psychology and mental performance and kind of getting your perspective on it and getting to try out some of those techniques. Yes, I'm really looking forward to kind of discussing how you feel some of the different mental skills have gone. And yeah, so we're of, thinking about talking yeah. about, um, I know we talked about self-talk, a little bit about control and focusing what's in your control versus out of your control. Um, what else have we, what else do we plan to talk about? Medita meditation yeah. and visualization yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I can't wait. Good. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the athletic approach. We hope you gain new insights into the mental dimensions of sport performance and are inspired to dive deeper into this fascinating field. The Athletic Approach is produced by Manisha Agwal and Dr. Jeremy Piasecki at Culture and Sport. If today's discussion sparked your curiosity and you want to learn more, head over to cultureandsports.com. We've got a wealth of resources, articles, and research to help you understand the mental game even better. And don't forget, you can also connect with us on your favourite social media platforms. Whether you're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok or YouTube, you can join our community for more insightful discussions, expert tips and a behind-the-scenes look at the world of mental sports. Remember, the mind is a powerful tool in any athlete's training. The more you understand it, the better your game. So keep learning, keep growing and keep pushing your limits. Thank you for tuning in to The Athletic Approach, where we go beyond the physical and explore the psychological. Until next time, stay strong, stay focused and embrace the mental game.